Ephesians 6, by way of uh, introduction and setting the context, I'm going to start reading it at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the the alert with all perseverance and petition, for all the saints. And we'll stop there. Now, <clears throat> our study in this section brings us to the to complete the belt of truth that we started last time. And the reason I passed out new handouts wasn't to cover for you folks that forgot to bring yours back. It's because I made a few, a few additions, a few changes. Um, <clears throat> so if you forgot, you skated again, see? Now, we're going to be starting or continuing in the study of the truth at the bottom of page one, where God hates falsehoods. God literally hates lies and liars. And I mean, that is stressed so often in Scripture. I think one that really points it out is Proverbs 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And like last time, we'll be bouncing around a little bit. <clears throat> Six sixteen, <clears throat> excuse me, through nineteen says, <clears throat> "There are six things which the Lord hates; yes, seven, which are an abomination to Him." I'm going to stop right there. When, when you hear that word "abomination," that is not a small fry kind of a word. That's a big word. When something, when God calls something an abomination, it's something that his hammer of justice and judgment is going to fall on. It's, when he calls it abomination, he truly is emphasizing his hatred for what is about to be mentioned. A haughty eyes, okay, pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plan heart that excuse me devises wicked plans feet that run rapidly to evil a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among the brothers <clears throat> okay there's right here um i would have to say just reading what was it? we saw falsehoods mentioned directly twice, alluded to another time, right? Just in this passage by itself. And in looking at this entire passage, and when one considers the events that took place this week, God hated everything that we witnessed this week, didn't he? We had uh, hands that shed innocent blood. 
God hates that. And I know it's very popular on TV for some of the TV folks just to throw out there willy-nilly, God loves all of you. No, he does not. God hates murderers. God hates liars. Yes, he's extended grace to some, and praise God for that. But don't don't soft soap the fact that, you know, and that goes on with this thing that <clears throat> God hates and loves. It's, it's kind of a, uh, it stems from this, the false doctrine of universalism where, well, God just loves everybody and we're, no, 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 no. If God loves everybody, somebody explain to me hell. <laughs> if that's the truth, it doesn't work that way. That's not, that's perhaps wishful thinking that is not biblical truth. God hates sin. And that is all the more reason that we that have been forgiven need to thank him. God hated our sin, too. He hates our sin right now. And think of it. When Jesus was on the cross paying the price for our sin, God put divine judgment on our sin carried by Christ. So think about that. God hates sin. Every single sin that's ever been committed will be judged. We can be very thankful. Our sin was judged on the cross. Our sin was judged at Calvary. Okay? And that's how we need to view sin. And not that we're better than anybody. We're just extremely uh, blessed. That's all I can say. Because none of us deserved any of that grace that he just freely gave. And he doesn't tell us exactly in, in our individual circumstances he never told us why other than all things are done you know in accordance with his divine purpose his personal will and how we fit in there maybe he'll tell us when we're in heaven why us and not the guy next door for example or the guy down the street well you're exactly right I mean scripture is very clear where it says many are called Few are chosen. You know, it says, and also as far as the way of salvation, you know, narrow is the way. Few there be that find it. Few find it. Where does the the multitude go? They, They go strutting down Broadway right into perdition. So, anyway. And then in Exodus 20, 16, that's in one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not bear false witness. I mean, it's, it's there. It's in the Ten Commandments. We won't turn to that one. It's in the Ten Commandments. I mean, Proverbs, uh, I think, says it well, this Proverbs 6. I mean, it just lays it out perfectly. I mean, this, the language, again, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And I'm going to read that again. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, Innocent is a key term there. A heart that devises wicked plans, uh, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among their brethren. Think about that one, too. In the church, spreading strife among the brethren, God hates it. God hates it. Okay, Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> Psalm 
For thou, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. For you, you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with thee. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You just hate all who do iniquity. You just destroy those who speak falsehood. See that word? You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. I mean, here he lives, deceit, links it right there to even bloodshed. So again, when we think of us, even as a nation, um, and I know some of the issues of our day, uh, you know, well, a few weeks ago, the gal came from the uh, abortion, not the abortion clinic, but the clinic that tried to... Yeah, the pregnancy care center, those try to give them an alternative. Uh, when you look at the number of abortions and the fact that, uh, uh, I think we mentioned this before, that in the United States Senate, a measure was put forth wanting to legalize nationally in every state of the union abortion right up to the moment of the baby crowning. I mean, that is just absurd. That is it's absurd. But in the Senate, it got 49 votes. That does not speak well of, the, of our country. Because let's face it, our elected representatives, quite frankly, are a reflection of the public. They just don't walk into office. But anyway. Okay. On the other hand, I think enough of that depressing thought. We as God's people, our next point, God's people must be people of truth. We must be people of truth. Psalm 24. In the Psalms, we may not, again, go into all of these, but Psalm 24, 3 through 5. <clears throat> We're just talking about this. Who are, here's a descriptor of the saved versus the unsaved. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who, is not, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And it goes on to say, this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face, even Jacob, which is synonymous with Israel. But again, right there. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Those who, quite frankly, are sinless. Well, again, it brings us right back to the grace of God. How many people are sinless other than Christ himself? None. None. Again, and we're going to see that if we get to page, our next one, part three, righteousness, where that righteousness comes from, our righteousness. Psalm 119, verse one, starting at verse 162. If you look at each psalm as a chapter, is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, 162 to 165. We're getting near the end here. 
I rejoice at thy word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Again, those who love your law. That does not speak of the mass of humanity. That speaks specifically of God's people. God's people. It's God's people who love the law. And the law is an Old Testament term that it's, it's used a number of ways. In, in the context of Psalm, it, Psalms, it refers to the entire uh, revelation of God, the entire word of God. Sometimes the law refers strictly to the Mosaic law. Sometimes it refers to all of divine revelation. In the strict context of Psalm 119, it refers to all of Scripture written at the time this was written, okay? But the truth of this applies to all of Scripture, okay? Uh, because, and that's it, all of Scripture. Ephesians, back to, we'll go to Ephesians now, back to where we began. Ephesians chapter 4. Seventeen through twenty-five say this: This I say, therefore, and affirm together with with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, and they having and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That is in reference to your former manner of life, you may lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And then you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Again, truth, truth. That, that must be the mark of the believer. That's got to be one of the marks of the believer. Speak truth. Whatever comes up, we speak truth. People talk about, well, that's, that's not really a real baby. Uh, yeah, it is. Speak truth. Well, you know, five, ten years down the road, if uh, Johnny wants to become Sally, that's his prerogative. Uh, no, it's not. Speak truth. Truth. Okay? I mean, just bring truth to bear. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one thing you don't see in the new, I'll just stick to the New Testament. When Jesus came, what did he do? He spoke truth. He did not lead a political revolution. He did not form a political party. He spoke truth. The apostles, same thing. They spoke truth. 
they did not run around try to change the laws. I mean, you just go through, and even in church history, you very little of that. You, you just, uh, they spoke truth. That's our job. Speak truth to, the, to this world situation. It needs, it desperately needs truth. The world, it's, the world, quite frankly, in many quarters is starving for truth. I don't think they realize it, but, um, <clears throat> and it's, it's sad sometimes that when truth is, applied to the many, many errors on there, they're going to get mad at you most of the time. Um, <clears throat> so like I say, if, you're, if you've ever, uh, if you want to know how the world thinks of us, you share the gospel with somebody. It won't take long. Um, <clears throat> you'll get things like, well, you're just being judgmental. No, I'm just telling you what the gospel says. Because in a, in a, in a correct gospel presentation, one must be reminded, well, for, let's go back up. The word gospel, what does it mean? Good news. Okay, it's good news. Why? Because of the bad news. And what's the bad news? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every human being out there is facing an eternity of divine judgment. The good news is there's a way out. And that's, the, that's by faith in the gospel, right? And so that's why it's called good news, because of the bad news that all, all of humanity is standing under the judgment of God. That's the bad news, but that's reality. And I know that's one of the things a lot of churches out there don't like to bring up, because, you know, you may not have a packed auditorium next Sunday. <laughs> but we've got to speak truth, got to bring truth to bear. Truth, truth. Second John, uh, verses 1 through 4 says, <clears throat> The elder to the chosen lady of her and her children, whom I love, who I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us. For the sake of the truth which abides in us. Okay? Speaking of believers. And we will be, and will, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be, be with us from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And then John goes on to say, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received a commandment to do from the Father. I mean, again, it's no small thing. It's a commandment. And <clears throat> it, it blessed the apostle's heart to see that the children were walking in truth. And in 3 John, verses 3 and 4 says, For I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth, that is, that is how you are walking in truth. And John goes on to say, I have no greater joy than to this, to hear of my children walking in truth. No greater joy. I'll tell you, there's no greater joy for a pastor to see the congregation walking in truth. I'll tell you. And where does it come from? Our next point, the gospel is truth. The gospel is truth. Speaking of the gospel, let's get the gospel of John. Chapter 8. We may not do part 3 today. We'll see. What if we don't? 
you bring them back next week. I, I, I will not be upgrading at this time. Bring it back. If you don't think you can make it, you can put it back on the table, and I'll bring it back. But anyway, John chapter 8. <clears throat> John 8, beginning of verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had, who had believed him, at least believed his words, okay? If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And if you're truly disciples, this will be the result. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What's the truth here? The truth of the gospel. In this context of John, the truth of who Jesus actually is. Jesus preached to these people over and over again, I am the way, the truth, the life. You know, um, Colossians 1.5. I'm going to say it this way. Colossians 1.5 says, Because of the hope laid upon you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Remember again, you look at this introduction to, the, to Colossians, it's very, very uh, similar to a lot of Paul's introduction where he praises God for their salvation. And then he, he brings it right down to the common denominator, verse 5, where he says, because of the hope laid upon, up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel being that word of truth Paul is referring to. And then Second Thessalonians, again, another church, 210 to 14. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. See that? They did not receive the love of the truth. They rejected it. And for this reason, verse 11, God will send upon them a deluding influence. Now this actually is referring out to the future. This uh, Second Thessalonians, we, we, find our, we find the context of this in what is known as the Great the Tribulation Period. It's in that Tribulation Period. <clears throat> but these same truths are still today, uh, just not in, maybe it's so severe. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth and then just the opposite takes place, but took pleasure in wickedness. Yeah? They took pleasure in wickedness. And that is, again, look at the news. You know, the potential is there for, for everyone who rejects the truth. Uh, just literally take pleasure in wickedness. And again, that's as God defines wickedness. The world defines wickedness, many of them, not all of them, as what took place in that elementary school in Uvalde. Okay, they'll most all agree that's wicked. But lying, cheating, lust, adultery, eh, not so much, not so bad. 
They make excuses for it. But see, when we talk wickedness, it's what God views as wickedness. In verse uh, 13, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved, by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Faith in the truth. And it, is for, and it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's, it's what separates us from the murderer in Texas is the grace of God. Apart from that grace of God, every human being is potential doing that very same thing. It's, it's, again, the reason more people don't do that stuff is for what we call the common grace of God upon the earth. Mankind, the depravity of man, is that wicked. It, it really is. It's, it's because of the common grace of God that more of these things don't happen. I mean, it, that, that is the... You know, it's shocking when you read about it, but from a theological perspective, in one sense, when you look at the depravity of man, it's actually more surprising that it doesn't go on more. And because it's the sinfulness of man on full display is what we see. And then the reactions to it are somewhat disgusting as well. Uh, Anyway, people trying to cash in on these terrible experiences, especially in the world of politics. And in John, or James, excuse me, James 1.18 says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. And again, we are here for one reason and one reason only, the grace of God. That is the big divider. That's what separates us from the rest. That's why, yes, we should be appalled at what we see. We should be appalled at all of that. We should speak against all of that. But we should not think more highly of ourselves than we should. We need to put ourselves in perspective that, and, and thank God that we're not one of them. Not in a haughty way, but in a very thankful way. Because the sinfulness of mankind is that strong the sinfulness in us is that strong and apart from the grace of god who knows what we might be doing out there truly i mean we need to we need to think about that and thank god for it that we're not out there doing that okay and i love this passage in in first timothy chapter three. First timothy chapter three where again paul writing to timothy where the church is described in the, as the pillar and support of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. I'll pick it up in 14, just to make it flow a little bit. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. If That's why it's so important for the church to just speak, preach truth. It's the only place the world's going to get it. We 
as the kingdom of God on earth, the church, if they don't get truth from us, they're not going to get it. <laughs> it's just that simple. It's that simple. We are the, not only the support, but the pillar of truth. You ever think about yourself that way? But, you know, all of us, you know, the church as a whole, but all of us are, are parts of that pillar and support of the truth. And then, last but certainly not least, that Jesus Christ himself is the fullest expression of truth. And I think that's an appropriate place to end then this morning, looking at our Savior. John chapter 1. Verse 14 through 18. And the Word, which of course in this context is Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, that be John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For he is the for he is, uh, for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Again, that was Jesus Christ on earth. You want to know what the Father looks like? Look at Christ. Okay, Jesus Christ, the fullest expression of truth was in God incarnate, Jesus Christ. And on that note, let's close. Heavenly Father, we once again, Lord, thank you for this time. And Lord, may we, as your representatives here on earth, may we live up to that calling. May we present your truth the way you want it presented. And again, Lord, we just thank you that you have called us out of that in spite of ourselves to be part of your kingdom. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Again, Father, thank you. You're welcome. I love well. <laughs>